Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. Rubina is a little delayed. She's actually returning from a funeral um, of one of her elder friends. And so we're just going to get started and jump right in with our guest, Penny Cook. I want to tell you a little bit about Penny. Penny is the president and CEO of Pioneer Network, which is a 22-year-old nonprofit organization dedicated to changing the culture of aging and the culture of long-term care. Penny began her career in New York as a social worker, focusing on older adults in acute and post-acute settings, and then moved to Colorado and worked in the policy and advocacy arenas as the program manager of the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program and as the executive director of the Colorado Culture Change Coalition. Most recently, she was the director of long-term care services and supports at Colorado Access, a nonprofit health plan in Colorado. And Penny is very passionate about helping us all value and respect our own aging, as well as those that we support, our families, friends, and elder citizens in general. So welcome, Penny. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Phyllis. I'm happy to be here. So I'm wondering if our listeners know what culture change is and what it's all about. So can you tell our listeners about that? Sure. So when we talk about culture change at Pioneer Network, and I think in the world of long-term care, what we're talking about is changing the culture of the care and support that we provide to elders, especially in the long-term care model, including nursing homes and assisted living communities, continuing care retirement, life plan communities. And we're talking about changing from that more institutional culture, for instance, that we built nursing homes on, to a more person-centered, person-directed culture where nursing homes and assisted living communities are truly home for the people that live there. So their lives are the kind of lives that they want to live the way they want to live them based on choice and respect and dignity. So it's uh, interesting what you said to me about, um, about nursing homes and this is where they live because nursing homes have is actually an appropriate name because it is these people's homes, but that has kind of morphed into something that's more of a medical model, more of an institutional model, and so the name skilled nursing facilities is used more often than nursing homes, but they really are interchangeable and one, one and the same, wouldn't you say? I would say so, and I think that... It really is interesting that nursing homes, we're talking about we're talking about a home. And when we talk about and we use the word skilled nursing facility, facility isn't usually a type of place that people would call home. 
And so I think it is very interesting, the language that we use. But when you look at it, it does make sense that nursing homes were based on that more institutional model of care because we really modeled nursing homes when they were first built after hospitals. So it makes sense about why we did certain things then, but I think that this, this idea of culture change means that we can change the culture now. So how would we go about changing that culture without changing the entire model of care? Because that's a probably a Herculean <laughs> exercise, and it may not even be appropriate because... Let's be honest, a lot of people are in nursing homes or skilled nursing facilities because they need round-the-clock nursing care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And so I think that you can still do those two things at the same time, and that's provide the type of care and support that people need. And, of course, some people need more clinical and medical care than other people do, um, but they're still living there and it still is their home. So what we're talking about is really getting the people who live there, and also the staff who work there and family members and friends engaged more in the care and support being provided. So we know, for instance, there are some people who are living in nursing homes that can make choices for themselves as far as when they want to wake up in the morning, the food that they want to eat, the things that want to... The, they want to do throughout the day that provide meaning and purpose to them. And for those people who maybe need a little support in making those decisions, we usually say, let's talk to the people closest to them. And for some people, that may be a close family member or friend. For other people, it may be the care partners who are providing the care professionally in the home that they're living in. But I think it gets down to really having the people, the residents themselves, being intimately involved in the day-to-day lives that they're living in a nursing home. Um. Absolutely agree. And I believe that now there is more of a movement towards person-centered care, even from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, correct? Very much so. Very much so. I think that we're hearing more, we're hearing the term person-centered or person-directed care more than ever in healthcare, And we're definitely hearing it for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services or CMS. And one of the things that we've seen over the past few years is even more of a change in the regulations that govern nursing homes. So the person-centered practices and principles really are part of the core of the regulations, which is something the Pioneer Network has advocated for for years. And it's not to say that they were never there, because they were, but I think there's even more of an emphasis, because I think that the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are realizing, just like everyone else, that that nursing homes should be places where people themselves can direct their lives. And so it's great to have that regulatory support as we also are providing the educational support for providers to be able to change their practices and change their culture. Uh, I think we heard a noise in the background there. Um, Rubina, is that you? Are you on on with us now? Yes, I am. Thank you. Uh, 
so um, glad that you were able to make it. I did tell the listeners that you were returning from a funeral, uh, so I'm glad that you were able to get back. I'm sorry for your loss, and I'm glad that you're participating in the in the call today. Um, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much, Phyllis. It was an elder from the community, and uh, you know, father of uh, and father-in-law of dear friends. Uh, and I just felt that I wanted to be present, and and thank you for giving me a little bit of the leeway on the on the start time. And uh, <laughs> Penny, welcome. Um, um, thank you. Please Rubina. continue. Please continue. Thank you. So we were talking about um, CMS and their move in the direction of person-centered care. How do you think that's really being adopted or accepted? I would say in more traditional long-term care settings? Well, I think one of the things we have to realize is that I don't think that there is any provider out there who who wouldn't say they wanted to provide person-centered care. But I think that it's a challenge sometimes implementing the philosophy and really putting it into a day-to-day practice. So I think what's been done with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid promoting and um, encompassing person-centered care in the regulations is that it gives even more of a motivation, incentive, or just want to say sort of a persuasion for providers to really even focus more on the implementation. You know, I've always said it's not that not that providers don't want to do this. It, it truly is that we've created the system that sometimes make the, makes these practical practices and principles hard to implement. And so I think that having the regulatory support behind it really just makes it a little bit easier. And the fact that there's a lot more education and training that's available for providers on the implementation. When you think about it, changing culture is really a a difficult, challenging task at Mm -hmm. hand that takes time. And people need support to be able to do that. So I think that really now aligning even more so the regulations with the education, with the training, sometimes even with the reimbursement on a state-to-state level and with Medicaid really provides almost that whole package. So I think that it, it does make it a little easier for nursing home providers in particular. I agree with you 100%. When you talk about changing culture, uh, we we talked the other day about, uh, Penny, you and I, about uh, being more person-oriented, that the person should come before the task, because so much of what happens in skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes is people have tasks that they have to finish, and, and that is because they are are very regulated. There are lots of things that have to be done. The I's have to be dotted. The T's have to be crossed. There's lots of documentation. And I think people get into this mode, this very rote mode that they just are oriented. They have to do the task. They have to finish Mm -hmm. this. And the person kind of gets lost in that, I think, a little bit. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, one of, we have a set of values and principles at Pioneer Network, and these were developed 22 years ago when the organization started. And 22 years ago, one of our values and principles is put person before task. 
because Mm. it really is very easy to get into that task mode of doing things. There's, you know, when, when you think about how, and let's specifically talk about a nursing home, when you think about the day-to-day activities that happen in a nursing home of people getting up in the morning and getting dressed and, and getting ready for breakfast and then everything else that follows, there's a lot of, you might say, different tasks involved in that. And it's easy to get just into that mode of getting, getting things done in a sense. But we're talking about caring for people caring for individuals. And so we do need to take a step back and figure out how to put the person first. Because when we do that, and it may take a little bit more time at first to think about this, but when we do it, those tasks that we're doing naturally follow. And they actually follow in a more natural flow that's based on relationships and not just based on doing something, getting it done, and checking a box. I agree with you. As a matter of fact, um, I had uh, I had this presentation um, last week that I delivered on communication and empathy, and uh, and behavior in nursing homes and facilities and and that kind of thing. And um, I introduced the concept uh, as in the beginning portion of my presentation about the fact that there have been studies on empathy and communications with physicians who obviously think that this takes a lot of time and they don't have the time for it, but it really is just what you said. They found that their relationships with their patients were better, that the patients responded better, that they were able to pinpoint the difficulties that patients had more quickly and more easily because of the relationship that the patient was more willing and open to talk with the physician. You are 100% correct that uh, it it does flow more naturally and more easily, and and it makes the tasks um, less task-like, I guess, less arduous in a way. Yeah, I I really think it does. You know, two of our other principles are know each person and that relationship is the fundamental building block of a transformed culture. And I really do think when we're talking about true person-centered, person-directed care, it really is all about relationships. It is all about knowing a person. And I really think we need to remember that relationship goes two ways. It's not only about knowing the resident in this case that we're talking about, but it's that relationship between the team of people that are caring and supporting that resident and the resident themselves. And so relationships are mutual. And so I think that's really important, especially as we look at health care and in particular long-term care and look at the different workforce issues, look at the turnover that, right. that happens. I think relationships are so important in that. It's something that we all want. So I think if people uh, could embrace person-centered care in terms of caring for the residents that are in their charge, they would find that they themselves have more personal connections with their coworkers and, and mm-hmm. their colleagues. And that will, um, that will help the entire work relationship, the entire, how the entire team functions. 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, if you look at any sort of team building exercises, I think at the core of those of those exercises that are done of of what's of what's provided in education, it's about relationships. It's about relationships and it's about trust. And those yeah, are things is. that take time to build. Um, but that's that's what it's all based on, and it's so worth it to create that different type of environment where you're truly creating a community. And really, community is one of those antidotes to institutionalization. <laughs> Absolutely. What were you going to say, Rabina? I think you wanted no, to jump in and say yes, something. Yes, I wanted to to share the the, the realization that I'm having. Uh, Penny, I'm a norm, novice in this area. I go to the doctor's appointments with my mom, and and I see the relationship between the GP and my mom, and it's just amazing to see how he works with her. And I think it is just that what you're saying, that person centered. You know, and uh, it's uh, it's almost like a, um, a a friend and a and a you know son parent relationship. So I think that what it really is happening is that's person centered care. Mhm. Exactly. I would yeah. completely agree with you, Rabina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, it's all about relationships. It's all and, about relationships. And and it's a people. Business. It's a caring business. So how could it not be about relationships? I mean, people are about relationships, are they not? Exactly. Definitely. I mean, it seems counterintuitive that we that it wouldn't be about relationships because that's all there is with people is relationships. I don't think people always think about it that way. Okay, Phyllis, no, we I need to create a system that's that's the opposite of that. Sometimes. Yep. Yeah, and this is time for us to take our first break. And this is um, Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. And we will continue our conversation shortly. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chantry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of all of Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. We're here with Penny Cook from the Pioneer Network and Rubina. Uh, we're having this wonderful conversation about uh, culture change and long-term care, assisted living, and the dignity and respect that people deserve as we get older. Um, we had an interesting little conversation in the break, and I wanted to open this segment talking about this, which is that um, I don't know if people realize that this is not just a philosophy that we're talking about. This is this really occurs in in a variety of different uh, situations, whether it's assisted living or. I'll call them living environments, which is a more appropriate name than like a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility. Um, so, Penny, you want to talk about that, how this came about and that this is this is a real, real thing. It's not just uh, a philosophy. It's not just a thought process. Right. It's not just something we talk about. Well, you know, and it's, it's actually been going on for a long time. So it was really... You know, some of our early founders of Pioneer Network were doing some innovative things then in nursing homes because when you think about it, even 20 years ago and, you know, 30 and 40 years ago when some of these activities were beginning to happen, there weren't assisted living communities or they were just beginning. They were at their infancy. So really, if someone was looking for a residential type of setting to move into, it was going to be a nursing home. And some of our founders were just doing very innovative work in the world of nursing homes and long-term care. And so in the 90s, they began learning more about each other. So some of our early pioneers were Dr. Bill Thomas, who also was the founder of the Eden Alternative. We had Charlene Boyd, who worked in um, Washington State at Providence Mount St. Vincent. Vincent, who was doing some really innovative things at her nursing home, Barry Barkin, who's the founder of the Live Oak community um, out in California, Karen Shaneman, who actually worked for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the nursing home division. They were all doing some innovative things around aging and nursing homes, and they got together in 1997 and said, you know what, we need to actually start this movement, this movement to change all the nursing homes across the country because we're doing it in these little pockets and we think this is widespread. And the reason was because, as I said, you had nursing homes that were modeled after hospitals, but for the most part, people don't live in hospitals. And people were living in nursing homes. They were living in nursing homes with multiple 
people living in one room, sharing a bathroom, um, not the way that we would say is truly home. And so these pockets then began to spread, and that was their intent. And now we see such innovative things going on throughout the country, even more so, and you're exactly right. This isn't just a philosophy. It's, It's truly happening. Um, I'll just tell you a short story about a nursing home here in the Denver area where I live. Um, And it was what you would call a fairly probably institutional, traditional nursing home. It was built in the 1950s. It had a flat roof. Um, And and there was um, a lot of people of all ages who lived there. And it was, it was acquired by a local nursing home management company who really believed in the psychosocial model of nursing homes. This is almost before culture change, really just a putting people first and their psychosocial needs as much as their clinical and medical needs. And this nursing home really turned around. They did some really you know, inexpensive, innovative things in the nursing home itself, like instead of, get, instead of having that thin curtain between two, two beds and two people, they actually built these three-quarter walls. They asked residents mm. what color they wanted their rooms painted. They put in porch lights instead of call lights and mailboxes at the door of the room and doorbells so that it, it was more like home and people felt mm. that, that, that this was their community to live in. And the interesting thing that happened is that it became a place that people not only wanted to live, there was a waiting list of people who wanted to live there, there was also a waiting list of people who wanted to work there. Which well, I think that's is interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting because I think that they truly created this community. And I think the other fascinating thing about this particular nursing home is their primary payer source was about 95% Medicaid. Hmm. So you had a nursing home that was primarily Medicaid funded that was a place where people wanted to live and people wanted to work. And I will tell you, they actually made money too. And so, so this isn't just a concept that, you know, isn't attainable. This, a lot of the things that we talk about of creating choice, of basing the care and support on people themselves, it really does work. Oh, absolutely. I've seen it in action myself. It's about a mindset. It's what your attitude is towards the people that are entrusted to your care. It, mm-hmm. I believe that's that's really what it amounts to. It's not just words. Like you said well, in the first segment, most providers would say that that's what they're interested in, providing good care or thinking about the person. But it, is that... Is that really just verbiage or is that really your mindset? And I think mm-hmm. if that's really your mindset, you can look at creative ways to create that environment. Um, and it doesn't have to cost you oodles of money. It really doesn't right. have to cost a lot of money. And the 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 um, the, the two models that I've seen, uh, which are in Chelsea, Massachusetts, the two of them, they also, and I tell people about them, they take Medicare, they take Medicaid, they take private insurance, they take uh, a variety of different kinds of payment. So it's not just this concept for people with a lot of money or this elite level of, um, you know, this elite level of our, of our communities, let's say. 
No, you're exactly right, Phyllis. It's, I think I always say that you can walk into a beautiful building, a beautiful new nursing home, assisted living community, but the, the mindset may still be very institutional. And you can walk into some homes who were built years ago, and maybe from the outside you're thinking, mm, I'm not sure if I want to live here. But you walk mm-hmm. through the door, and there's a feeling of warmth. There's a feeling of family and community, and you know that it's home. Absolutely. So it's, it's palpable. not about the money. Yeah, it, it's definitely palpable. Uh, Rubina, your your parents are in um, a a community, I think, right in mm-hmm. Canada. How right. do how does um, how do those? And there are two different kinds of communities, correct? Now, right, they are. they are. How do how does how do those communities? Um, um, I mm-hmm. say embrace these this concept, this culture, this person centered culture. Do you find that they they're embracing that, and that your parents are experiencing that? I, I see that very much. I see that very much. So um, let's talk first about where my mother is, which is uh, a facility for South Asians. And uh, this concept of, uh, you know, their uh, psychosocial needs, you know, the language is there, the food smells, the and they're, and what's also very, was very touching to me uh, that they call each of the the residents Bibi and Baba. Bibi is, you know, elder lady. You could be grandma, it could be mom, and Baba is an elder elderly man. So I thought it was a, a, a very touching that they they were using the terminology that's familiar to the residents. Mm. Uh, and I see very, you know, just as I'm listening to Penny and you asked me the question, and I see just some very simple things like, uh, you know, um, uh, tea available. Uh, and the other mm-hmm. thing that they've done in this particular facility, which I have not seen in others, is put in a... a a full kitchen with a a small stove because, you know, our babies are used to making their chai Mm. and they want their chai when they want it. Right, right. You know, you know. So I, I see that uh, that person-centered approach, and uh, and uh, and uh, and I'm I'm very very grateful. And on the other side, the for my father, he's in a nursing home. Went in there in. June of this year, Phyllis, you recall? Right. And he just about three weeks ago, um, while I was away on vacation, he fell and fractured his hip and um, and had uh, had surgery. So he is back in his home, uh, unfortunately forgetting that he had the surgery and trying to get up and going mm. and having multiple falls. But it's the beauty is that he doesn't have to be in the hospital. I'm so grateful that we were able to, that he did go to a nursing home when he did, so that now he's back in his environment, he's having his own meals, he, physio is coming there, and, and I, I, I am pleased with both of those, uh, those facilities, and uh, I definitely see signs of this, uh, uh, what Penny is describing as personal, person-centered care. So, Penny, if people are have loved ones, or, or even for themselves, actually, mm-hmm. um, 
obviously, uh, you're in Denver. I'm in uh, mm-hmm. Connecticut. Rubina is in uh, California. Her parents are in Canada. So we're talking about many different geographic areas. How would people uh, find places that embrace this kind of uh, person-centered care, culture change, if they were seeking care for their loved ones? And it's a great question. So I would say that there, there's no one magical tool, unfortunately. I always say that people should have a variety of tools in their toolbox. As, as they're starting this search. So first of all, people can definitely go to our website at pioneernetwork.net. And we actually have a section for elders and families. And not only does it talk about culture change and what different care options are, but it talks about different questions to ask if you're looking for a nursing home or an assisted living community and whether they provide person-directed care. Which ni- what's nice is that it's not only the questions to ask, but this tells you what to listen for. So sometimes you ask the question, and Phyllis, you and I have talked about this, but you're not <laughs> sure what the answer should be. Right, exactly. And so this actually gives you examples of what you're hoping the community that you're interviewing is going to say. To find the actual communities, you know, I, I would look at a couple things. Number one, I think that every family member and every person is different. And so what might be right for me and what I might feel comfortable in, where I might feel comfortable living could be very different than both of you. And so I think to really, you know, make a list of what somebody is looking for, what's important to them. If it's going to be proximity to family and friends, that needs to factor into it when you're looking at nursing homes or assisted living communities. Every state should have um, a licensing body that licenses nursing homes and assisted living communities. So starting there is really important to get an idea of the type of care that an organization, a community provides. There's also the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They have a five-star quality rating system, and it's called Nursing Home Compare, it should be a tool that people look at. It should not be the be-all, end-all tool, but it will give an idea of some of the different things that some people look for when they're looking for nursing homes. Another thing that people can do is that every state has a long-term care ombudsman program. And so to find the ombudsman program in your area, and of course I'm talking about the United States and not Canada, so I'm sorry about that, but if, but if you find out where the long-term care ombudsman program is in your area, and you can usually start with your area agency on aging, they'll have an idea of the homes in your community as well. And then we have the Eden Alternative. The Eden mm. Alternative is a philosophy of person-centered practices and principles. And so the Eden Alternative has a website, and it lists all of their organizations that are Eden registered, which means Mm. that they've committed to these person-centered practices and principles. And that's another great place to start. The last organization is the Greenhouse Project. That's a small household model of nursing homes. And they're in many states across the country, another place that people can start. I uh, had the privilege of going and visiting 
a uh, the first urban green I think it was the first urban greenhouse I've talked about it before um, the Leonard Florence Center for Living and it really mm-hmm. is uh, really is something to see uh, when you see it live like <laughs> live and in person it was yes. it was really it was really really beautiful I, I have to say but you said something that I think is very interesting which is um, what every person every person is looking for something different and mm-hmm. in um you know we talk a lot about verbiage and how we uh, view older people and the words we use and i've talked a lot about um saying that as somebody should be moving or transitioning into a facility rather than being put there and i yeah. the only reason i'm bringing this up in the last 2 minutes that we have left is because um it should be about what's important to not to the person, not just yes. It's it might be things that are important to the family as well, but it's the person that has to live there. And I don't know how often families really think about that and really take what the person's needs and desires are into consideration. And it's so important because you're exactly right. Who's going to be living there? It's. It's that person themselves, sometimes an elder, sometimes someone who may not consider themselves an elder, but it's that person themselves. So that is one thing that I really, you know, if ideally we would love the elder themselves to actually be touring and visiting places that they may move into. But if not, if that's not possible, I just urge family member and friends, you're right, to take into consideration what that person would want, what their needs and desires and wishes are. It's so important and so critical. It's going to be somebody's home. Absolutely. So we just have a few seconds left. And uh, Penny, if you want to reiterate uh, the website or any kind of contact information for our listeners, I think that would be great. Yes, anyone can go visit our website at pioneernetwork.net. And anyone is feel free, is free to email me at penny.cook at pioneernetwork.net. Well, thanks an awful lot, Penny. This was terrific, and um, I'm sure our listeners learned a lot of very valuable information, and I know I did, and uh, Rubina, you? Oh, definitely, and look forward to continuing the conversation in our next segment, and this is uh, Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment Channel. And Penny, thank you very much. Thank you. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. 
Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back. This is Rubina Chaudhry along with uh, uh, my co-host Phyllis Amon. Uh, Phyllis, we've had a, an excellent conversation with Penny Cook from the Pioneer Network. And I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about your advocacy work that you've done over the years. And I know for sure that advocacy begins with education. And I think that's where the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy comes in. I know you have written at least two book, books and you have several checklists. And, and this is really the area that you're very passionate about. So can you share a little bit about some of the things that uh, that you're advocating for right now and then we'll continue our conversation. Sure, thanks Rubina. So yes, my two books, uh, the first one was Nursing Homes to Rehabilitation Centers, What Every Person Needs to Know. It got a little academic, I have to say, but the next one, Overdue Quality Care for Elder Citizens, which is, it's a little less than a year that it's out. Um, I wrote that book so that it would be easier for people to read and, and also things change and are updated. But one of the areas, are, it's not only about informing people about uh, what they need to know, but when they need to know it. So you've heard me say this before, plan by choice, not by crisis. So when in the last segment, when we were talking with Penny and I was saying the person who lives there really is the person that needs to be able to say some of the things that they're looking for. This, this really has to be done in advance a little bit, just like other conversations. You and I have talked about this, about like long-term care insurance or, Funeral arrangements. Or, I mean, it sounds like a funny thing, but people really yeah. don't talk about these kinds of things. And I do have, um, you know, she said that that they have checklists and information on the Pioneer Network. And I also do um, on my website, phyllisldercare.info. Um, and what I advocate for is really knowing the information that's behind the questions so that, just like she said, not only 
should you be thinking about the answers that you're expecting, but if you have the information, you can ask the follow-up question. Definitely. And I can share with the listeners that I got those lists from your website and used them very successfully when I was searching for uh, for the nursing home for my father. So, Phyllis, thank you very much. And I want to talk a little bit more about you know, this person-centered approach uh, really touched me today. And I want to look at the title of your book. And it's referring overdue quality care for our elder citizens. I think the language that we use is very important in how we relate with each other. And in the just segment before, I shared how you know, in the facility where my mom is, where they're using the appropriate words. So share a little bit on your philosophy on using the correct terminology, please. Well, as I was saying, uh, when we were talking with Penny, I'm very passionate about the fact that we use the word that we put somebody in in a facility. We put them there. And yet, our entire lives, we talk about moving. So we move from our parents' house, maybe we move and go away to school. Maybe, not everybody, but maybe. And then maybe you uh, move in with a roommate or or move in with a partner. Then maybe you get married, not everyone, but maybe you get married and then you move in with your spouse. And then you move maybe from an apartment to a house. And then maybe years later, you downsize and you move and then maybe you move into an adult community. But then it's so interesting to me that people say, oh, I had to put my mother in a nursing home or I had to put Mm. them in such and such place. And I feel like that's so demeaning that if we continue to think about it as a transition and just a move, that maybe we will also think about the person differently because it's just another transition of life. I have a question. I've been talking a lot about my dad going from one place to another. Do you recall if I use the word move or put? I don't remember. I hope I used the word move. I think one time, after we had the conversation, there was one time you said put and then you corrected yourself. Oh, <laughs> I'm not right. saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying that it's No, no, I, I, I really mindset. understand what you're saying. I, yeah, I get it. it. I get it. It's a mindset and it takes away from the idea that this is a person, that they have autonomy, that they still have the same needs that other people have in terms of comfort and security and love and affection and uh, freedom of choice. Even if, if, if people are confused and have advanced dementia, everybody still has those same human needs. Mm-hmm. Very, very much so. Another word that you use, and I've always used it you know, in my conversations, is referring to you know, them as elder citizens, elders. And and the and the wealth of knowledge that is there and and the positive connotations that go with the word elder versus the connotations that go with the with the senior. Uh, right. Share with me how you came to using the word elder citizens versus senior citizens or or, or the other you know standard terminologies. Uh, I think it just evolved over the years. 
working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities mm-hmm. and working with so many people who were so many years older than I was mm-hmm. and thought of them respectfully as elders. Of course, now I'm nearer their age than further. <laughs> But Uh they are still elders, and there are many people that are in their 85, 90, 95th year, and they tell me I'm a kid, and I'm uh, over my mid-60s, and they say, oh, you're just a kid. Well, to them I am, because I'm 25 or 30 years younger than they are, so they really are my elders, and they have a wealth of experience And so that's why I thought of that term. And also because these are citizens of our country, whether they were born here or naturalized, I'm not getting into the politics of it, but they are citizens of this country or of the world that gave birth to the next generation and worked hard, contributed. So to me, there, it's a, um, like a civic term, like a, a term mm-hmm. of civic consciousness mm-hmm. that there are, are citizens of our communities. And so that's how I came up with that terminology. Great. Thank you. And, uh, you know, we, we both know and we know that education becomes before advocacy. Now, I'm coming along following with, with you and we want our listeners to become advocates as well. So I'm grateful that you and I have the opportunity to provide this education format. So please share some of your thoughts on what we can do in terms of, we as in you and I, can do in terms of educating our listeners so that then we generate more advocates. Well, I think that I think that the fact that we've embarked on this program, uh, this radio show, I mean, is uh, certainly an important first step in bringing important information to people, uh, having them become aware of just like uh, what Penny Cook was talking about, whether it's culture change or other things that we've learned about um, in terms of when we've interviewed people about assisted living or Charlene Harrington about nursing homes, that to learn the information that's out there so that they can be empowered because they've learned more about it. And once, like you say, once you know more, then you can be more forthright in what you what you know is possible and what you can, I don't want to say demand, but what you can ask for or what you mm-hmm. expect. I think that's one thing, and um, I was, uh, I actually took a little bit of a hiatus from this blog I was writing, but I am going to get back to it. It was just a busy, a very busy few weeks and a uh, uh, trying few weeks, but I am going to get back to that, and I think your Olive Community Services Organization and spreading the word that way uh I'm also, I do seminars on caregiving. I just did this presentation on communication and empathy and um, for actually a nursing home company. So the more I can get out there and spread that word to providers, um, I think is, is a way that people will realize what's possible. And as they become aware of what's possible, what people are endeavoring to learn, they can become more forthright in their advocacy. Oh, definitely, 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 Phyllis. 
And I know Olive Community Services is really, um, I think, positioned very well to help with uh, with this education piece. And uh, and I think the I, you you said it so beautifully. The key to key to using what's available to you is before knowing that it is available. And right. uh, you know something interesting. I over the last week or so, I've been getting emails. And there are saying uh, senior discounts that you don't know about, or so I don't know whose email list I've gotten onto, but I think that's a, that's also an area that we need to mm. kind of perhaps one time explore because mm. there may be these savings that that exist that that uh, our listeners may or may not know about, and and you know and I know and we've heard many a time that there are scholarships and grant funds and stuff that go unawarded because there are not enough applicants. Absolutely. So I think if to take that, perhaps we need to start researching and, uh, and uh, making our uh, um, listeners more aware of some of the unique, um, you know, benefits that may be, may be available. I think it's a benefit to, to be a senior citizen, hey, I can go from Fullerton to Los Angeles for four dollars and I think twenty-five or fifty cents wow. on a fifty percent MetroLink pass. Come on, that's you know, terrific. That's if, terrific. I, and, I love it. And if I people love- knew more about those things, maybe they could get out more. Maybe they can do it's- more things, become more social. And um, I, uh, we we did our uh, last show about vision, and I thought that what um, Anu shared about how people could even be in their home and offer help to other people by being their eyes through this app. The more information that we get out there and people can take advantage of and connect with other people, I think it will bridge the gap for, oh, you know, making more of this happen. Beautifully. And Phyllis, I feel that you and I are just barely scratching the surface. I agree. Just just barely scratching the surface. And uh, over the last few weeks, um, Olive Community Services has been approached by uh, by a group who have built a facility and are asking us to share some ideas uh, in operations. And what I'm hearing from you and Penny and all the other uh, guests that are coming on, I think that would provide for excellent input to this, the efforts of this uh, particular organization. We can help them, you know, design it for success with these policies and principles uh, right up front. I mean, this is amazing. I'm. Thank you for involved, getting me involved in this. Oh, I think it's great that you're part of it, that we met. Actually, it's a little over a year ago. And uh, that is the direction I actually really want to move in, which is to do consulting with people who are building, um, I don't even want to call them facilities, but building care I want to say structures, Uh I don't even, living environments. Homes. Yes, homes, so that they are more comfortable, they are more home-like, where people can live out, uh, you know, continue their life's journey, as I say, in a way, in an environment that's comfortable. Oh, that's that's really wonderful. And uh, where can people get in touch with you, Phyllis? 
Sure. How so can, how uh, can people get in touch? So with you? my um, people can uh, email me through the uh, the uh, show website, or they could reach me at Phyllis P H Y L L I S at voiceforeldercare.com. And I have two websites, but the one where they could reach me best would be phyllisheldercare.info. That would probably be the preferable uh, website. And people can always, um, as I said, reach us through the the, um, show website. They can email me or you and find out about Olive Community Services and maybe how they can, um, they can, organize a community service organization in their their own community definitely and olive can be olive community services can be reached at uh, olivecs.org and for me i can be reached at rubina at olivecs.org or through our show uh, show web page well this has just been great and um Thanks again for tuning in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.